The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Let's pray before we begin this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us together this morning. It is totally out of your grace and mercy towards us, out of your, your love for us that you have done this. And so we are thankful. Ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know if it's possible for me to preach a sermon on community without mentioning uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Uh, The book has had a profound uh, impact on me. If you have not read it, I would highly encourage you uh, to do so. Uh, His vision of Christian community is so compelling to me. Uh, It's one that is, it's honest uh, it's, it's realistic, it's not naive or idealistic, um, yet it's got this otherworldly character to it. Uh, it's rooted in Scripture, it's, it's centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and I believe that it's a prophetic word to the church in America today, uh, to us as a community. And so because of this, I find myself returning to it often, uh, especially these words in chapter 1, where he notes our tendency to dream or fantasize about the perfect community, the idealistic perfect community. Listen to what he says. He says, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. You see what he's saying? He's saying many times uh, we as believers uh, enter into a Christian community with all these idealized visions of how it's going to be or how it should be, but then we meet not our idealized dream world, but real people. Real people. And the reality of Christian community with all its messiness, with all its imperfection, with all its error, can tempt us to escape into a world of fantasy or dreaming where we say, if only these people were blank. 
If only this church had blank. If only they were like blank. If only they treated me like blank. If only so-and-so wasn't here. (laughs) Yep. Then I would have joy. Then I would really have authentic community. Authentic community. We envision a dream community and say, I will give myself to these people if blank. I will love these people if blank. I will serve these people if blank. And Bonhoeffer says that that ideal dream community we create in our head and we fantasize about will only end up hurting the actual people in the community we are a part of. Because in this fantasy, we're not loving real people. We're dreaming about people that we can control. Um, We say, I want Christian community, but I want it on my terms. And eventually, such a conception of community will lead us to see this body or wherever we are is unable to meet our needs. And we'll we'll be forced to look elsewhere for this mythical dream community. Or maybe, maybe we'll just give up on the quest altogether, thinking that our lives are better when we're on our own. Maybe we'll attend church, but really that's as far as we want to go. We've determined that we have better things to devote our time to than service to a local community. Because, well, look at the mess. Look at these people. So we keep an arm's length, a safe distance, a distance that maybe isn't safe after all, but very destructive to our faith. So this morning, because I know my tendency to fantasize about the ideal dream community instead of sacrificially loving the community that I'm a part of, and because I know my constant tendency as an American to be a consumer and to ask Shades Valley, what do you have for me? Because of that, because I'm well aware of these tendencies, I want us this morning to hear God's word about the church. (laughs) I want us to hear God's word about this community. I want us to hear who we really are as a people and how we are called to interact with one another. I want our minds not to go off into daydreaming about idealistic communities, but to be renewed by the scriptures, by the image in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. All right, so look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3. In verse 3, Paul writes, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God assigned. Four. Four. The four at the beginning of the sentence is like a signal uh, that tells us that Paul is connecting what he said previously to what he's saying here. Well, what has Paul said previously? Is it important? Yes. Uh, Paul in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 urges a divided Roman community of Jew and Gentile uh, in view of the 
uh, mind-blowing mercy of God that has been shown towards them. He says, in view of that, offer your entire being to God as worship, as sacrificial worship. Give your entire self to him. And this is something that they're called to do, not just individually, but also corporately, together. Um, They're not to be squeezed into the mold. They're not to be a community that's squeezed into the mold of the world, of the present age, that's against the ways of God, that is on its way out because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't be squeezed into that way. It will be tempting. But instead, have your mind transformed by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And so the four, I believe, is important, important at the beginning of this sentence because I think it reveals to us that in the verses that we're looking at today, Paul is unpacking what it looks like for the church to offer their entire being to God. You see? He's unpacking what it looks like for us to, as a body, give our entire selves to Jesus, to be transformed. What does that look like? Well, three things that I want us to see from this passage today of what it looks like to give our entire being to God as a community. Three things that I want our minds to be renewed with. First is the community that is renewed in their mind, the community that gives their entire being to God is a community that has a sensible or real vision of themselves, not a high view of themselves. A sensible or real vision vision of themselves and not a high view of themselves. Paul urges them not to think too highly of themselves. They're not to have um, lofted thought. They are not to be prideful. Uh, The actor and director Marlon Brando gives a picture of the pride that I think Paul is talking about here when he said that with some actors, if you ain't talking about him, he's probably not listening. If you ain't talking about him, he's probably not listening. Pride, a high view of oneself, being turned in on yourself, consumed with yourself in your own ends. Pride. And this pride, this pride, it leads to misery. At least, that's what C.S. Lewis said. Uh... Lewis said this. Uh, Lewis said that because of this high view, this turn inward, uh, that pride is the worst of all sins. And pride has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. The chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. He goes on to say that the solution to such pride that brings misery is not to be a greasy, smarmy person. Smarmy, insincere. I had to look that one up. It's not to be a greasy, smarmy, insincere person who is always telling you that, of course, they are a nobody, right? Um, He says, no, instead, the truly humble person will be cheerful, giving little, if any, thought to self at all giving little or any thought to self at all. Humility, a sensible view of yourself, is not limited 
to a certain personality type, right? Um, very quiet, peacekeeping, non-confrontational people can be very prideful. Anybody can conceal a proud attitude under a demeanor of humility. I do it all the time. It's not hard. Um, this is not the same as actual humility. One of the many evidences of actual humility is the inclination to consider others better than yourself, which results in valuing their thoughts and interests as highly as your own. As highly as your own. And I think what's so beautiful about this verse is that Paul not only gives us the command, don't be prideful, um, but he also gives us the means to have a sensible, realistic view of ourselves. The how, if you will. He says that we're to view ourselves, that the view of ourselves, our self-estimation, should be in accordance with the measure of faith that God has assigned. The measure of faith that God has assigned. He says our barometer for our self-estimation is the divinely gifted measure of faith. What's he talking about? Well, I think here he's talking about our gifting. The gifts and abilities we have been given by God, which is God's grace. Paul says at the beginning of the verse, it's by the grace of God that I tell you all this. What's he talking about? I don't think he's talking about salvation there. He's talking about his gifting, his calling as an apostle, and he identifies that as God's grace on his life. He's talking about their gifting. Each of them, each of us, Shades Valley, has been gifted in a different way, and each gifting is essential to the life of the community. Each gifting is essential to the life of the community. Therefore, no one member with their small part to play should become prideful in how they've been gifted, should have a high view of their gifting, of their ability, of themselves, for they are just one member in the body. They are just one member in the body. So what does it look like to offer your entire lives to God to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind? It looks like a sensible vision of ourselves, one that's not too high and one that's not too low, one that comes from seeing ourselves as part of something larger than ourselves, seeing that we've died to our autonomous selves and that we're no longer about our own purposes, but rather we're a part of something bigger. We're part of the body of Christ of which we are just one member. First thing. Secondly, secondly, it looks like being part of a community that is marked by unity in the midst of diversity. It looks like being part of a community that is marked by unity in the midst of diversity. Look at verse 4 with me. Paul writes in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Members one of another. Um, I believe I've shared this before, uh, but in, in high school, I played basketball on the most brutal and competitive league. The league was a church basketball league. It's brutal. 
And I, I tore my ACL when I was pushed from behind from the pastor's kid of our rival church, of course. And during that time, I had to walk everywhere with the sticks from hell that most people refer to as crutches. During that time when I was doing that, I saw the essential role that a small member of my body, my ACL, played. I saw how the loss of just one tiny member affected my entire body's ability to function. To function how it was supposed to. I was reminded of this again a few months ago when right here I passed out at the beginning of my sermon. When certain members of my body that I normally don't notice aren't working properly, things don't go well. And my body says, all right, shut her down. Each member, each member plays a vital role. Paul reveals to us that the church is the body of Christ. And just like a human body is characterized by unity and diversity, so is the people of God. Just like each unique member is connected to others and plays a crucial function, so it is with the people of God. Unity and diversity. Okay. First, I want to talk about unity. Unity. This, this may seem obvious to some of us, but I don't want to quickly pass this breathtaking reality by. Um, Shades Valley, we are ultimately united with one another because who we are in Christ. Because the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want us to meditate on that for a second. Uh, Bonhoeffer in Life Together, surprise, uh, also writes, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It's a reality created by God in Christ which we may participate. Do you see the difference? It's not an ideal which we must realize. Rather, it's a reality created by God. This is something that God has done. And this is something that God is doing. God didn't just save individuals and say, all right, everybody get together, work it out. No. This is something God is doing. Our unity is in Christ. We, we wrote a song at, uh, at Shades Valley, the worship team did, and it said, Lord, you torn, Lord, you've torn down the walls. Torn, past tense. And you're making us one. His work his action. As we pray for unity in the church, we need to realize that in a powerful, real way, we have unity because our unity is ultimately founded upon the work of Jesus Christ and our belonging to him by grace through faith. It, you might say, Brad, that's ridiculous. I look at the church, it's not unified. Well, at times, do you not look at your own life and say, how can I be a saint? How can I be holy? When I look at the reality of my life, it preaches a different message. But we know that we are saints, right? Why? Not because of our personal holiness, but because of Christ and what he's done. And because we are in him, we are the holy ones. Right? It's the same way with the church. We look at the church and say there's no way that we're unified. But Shades Valley, 
Our unity is in Jesus Christ. Because of the work that he's done. And so we pray, God, empower us to live into that unity that you have already accomplished through your death and resurrection. This has uh, massive implications for us as a community. Not only how we view the church global, but also how we view one another, even this morning. Um, I say this, Shades, you and I may not look or talk anything like each other. We may come from completely different church backgrounds. We may have different preferences in worship. We may come from drastically different cultures. We may come from or be in different socioeconomic levels. We may have totally different political opinions. Honestly, we may have very little in common. And because of these things, the world may look at us and say, those two are not going to be together. But I look at each one of you today and I say, whatever wall threatens to stand between you and I has been torn down by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I may not have much in common, but we have Christ. And therefore, we have much in common. You are my brother. You are my sister. We belong to one body. We are members of one another. We desperately need one another. Unity in Christ that makes the world step back and say, what is going on? Secondly, it's a unity, and it's a unity in diversity. Just like a human body, the church cannot function unless it's marked by diversity, with each unique member using their gift to build up the body. Um, Paul communicates this really clearly with the body metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. What a beautiful truth. And I see this passage, while so much is going on, I see this correcting two false notions that we can have as we look at this community. The first is, I'm not needed. And the second is, I don't need these people. First is, I'm not needed. We said earlier that the image of the body prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, right? But it also keeps us from thinking of ourselves in a more lowly way than we ought. Thinking we have nothing to offer this community. It can be very easy for us to have a reductionistic view of what it looks like to serve the church. In this small view, uh, there's only a few ways to serve the church, and it's limited to those that are good at leadership, uh, public speaking, or can play electric guitar. Right? That's what it seemed like in my youth group. And we can easily begin to see service reserved for a select few with certain talents. And, well, we don't have those talents, and we don't have those abilities, and so I'm just going to take a step back. What do I have 
to offer. Paul says you're a member of the body. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, then you're a member of the body of Christ and you have a vital function to play. Maybe that service will not be seen. Maybe that service will never be talked about in a sermon. Maybe it will never be applauded. Maybe it will never be mentioned or, or, or praised. But it's essential. Christ has given you a, a grace, a gift to serve the body. And when you don't serve the body, the body suffer, suffers. Brad passes out at the beginning of the sermon. All right? It suffers. And there's a second false notion. Uh, not only I'm not needed, but the second false notion is I don't need these people. I don't need these people. Some of us, this isn't for everybody, but some of us need to realize that we aren't the whole body. We can't do it all. But some of you really want to. <laughs> for some of you, this is a huge challenge because you tend to find your worth and acceptance in being able to do it all. And in being able to do it all in front of everyone. To be recognized. I am guilty of this. We need to see that we are just one member. And when we try to do it all ourselves, when we try not to bother others or have others be involved and we say, no, we'll just do it, we deprive others of the joy of serving the body of Christ. We deprive others of being able to use their gifting and we get so tired, exhausted, we strain ourselves. Why? Because you weren't created to be the whole body. You're a member dependent upon others. Or maybe some of us have this thought when we go fantasizing about our ideal dream community, if only so-and-so wasn't here, life would be so much easier. We need to be reminded, and this is big, this will transform the way you view the people in this community, it is God who has arranged the members of this community, not you. It is God. God has brought us together to accomplish his purposes. Shades Valley, this is, this is an article of faith. We are less without one another. We are less without one another. All right. Lastly, the last thing I want us to see is that to be transformed, to offer our entire lives to God as an act of worship, to be renewed in our minds, it, it looks like using our abilities and giftings as a means to serve one another and make much of Jesus. It looks like us using our abilities and our giftings as a means to serve one another and make much of Jesus. Read Romans 12, verses 6 through 8 with me. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. First, just let me say about these verses that I don't believe 
that the spiritual gifts that are listed here or elsewhere in Scripture are intended to be exhaustive, are intended to be it, all right? I, I don't believe they're intended to be exhaustive, but rather they're intended to be examples. And I, I don't think these speci- specific gifts here are really the focus in and of themselves. The specific gifts are the focus in and of themselves. I think N.T. Wright in his commentary on Romans is correct about the emphasis of this verse, which I think we do well to listen to when he says, God gives the church grace for its multiple and mutually supportive task. And whatever they are, they must be exercised to the full extent of one's powers. Whatever they are, they must be exercised to the full extent of one's powers. Paul's saying here, what are your gifts? What are your, what are your abilities? Use them. <laughs> Use them. Serve. Devote yourselves to one another in, your, in this community. Give yourselves to one another. And let's be clear, this service is not to earn God's approval. It's not to gain worth or to get some sort of recognition from other people. But it's a service that comes out of a renewed mind and a transformed heart that loves Jesus and the other. Our neighbor that loves Jesus and the neighbor. You might ask, Brad, what's love got to do, got to do with it? Everything, Tina. Everything. You know, you know that beautiful description of love that we know from 1 Corinthians? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's actually placed in between Paul's words about spiritual gifts and orderly worship. Spiritual gifts and orderly worship. Between chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. And surprisingly, not in chapter 7 where he talks about marriage. I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to marriage. It does. But it's interesting to me that the context where Paul has this beautiful description of love is when he's talking about serving the church, the body of Christ. Back to Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer says in Life Together that we're to serve out of a spiritual love, not a human love. A spiritual love, not a human love. He says, human love makes an end, or excuse me, human love makes itself an end in itself. Say that again. Human love makes itself an end in itself. But spiritual love does not desire, but rather serves. It loves an enemy as a brother. It loves an enemy as a brother. It originates neither in the brother nor in the enemy, but in Christ and his word. Do you want to have this kind of love for others? Then gaze upon Christ crucified for you. Gaze upon Christ crucified for you. It's a love that loves an enemy. As a brother. Human love is it's it's the love that we see in romantic comedies. It's it's self-serving, but spiritual love is what we see on the cross. It's self-giving, 
It's self-sacrificial. It's not self-seeking. And this love can only come by staring at Jesus and having our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit so that we see one another differently. This is what it looks like for us to offer our entire being to God. A people with a sensible view of ourselves and our gifting in light of the body of Christ, the community united in Christ where each unique member uses their gifting and their ability in love to build up others and to make much of Jesus, glorifying him. This is what it looks like. This is worship, not only with our lips, but also with our lives, not only singing together as a community, but serving one another in love. To close, I just want to say a word about using our gifting and abilities to serve here at Shades Valley. Just a word about using our giftings and our abilities to serve here at Shades Valley. Um, I'll, I'll explain this, but, but first, there is a lot of space for you to serve at Shades Valley. There is a lot of space and room for you to serve at Shades Valley. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Uh, first, I don't know if you've noticed, but at SVCC, we don't have a huge staff that plans and runs countless programs. Uh, at the church I grew up at, there was a program for every day of the week and everything that you could possibly imagine. And, and that was great. That's awesome. But that's not us. Uh, we don't, have a huge staff that runs countless programs. Almost all of our servant leaders are volunteers. Completely volunteer. Not paid. Uh, I could tell countless stories of people in this community that looked and saw a need and said, hey, I have a passion for this. I think this is important and I believe that I have the ability to help start blank to help start blank. And they came to, to us, they came to the pastoral staff, they came to the, the elders, and we said, awesome. How can we help you do that? We said, awesome. How can we help you do that? And we love it when that happens. I love it when that happens because it's Ephesians 4 being played out before my eyes. It's a congregation that has the mentality not of paying the pastors to do all the work of ministry and sitting back and applauding, saying that was awesome, but rather a congregation that realizes that the shepherds and the teachers and the pastors are there to equip them for the work of ministry. To equip them for the work of ministry. They have been gifted for the work of ministry. They are essential to the work of ministry. It is a beautiful mentality that we have at Shades Valley. It is hard. It's hard at times, <laughs> but it is beautiful. And I pray by the grace of God that that mentality and that perspective and the way that you all as a congregation take ownership and give of yourselves with very little recognition and very little notice, I pray that that continues by the grace of God because it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There is space for you to serve. 
to, to try new things that have never been seen before in church and, and maybe fail. And that's okay. If you see a need and you think something should be done about it, just maybe, just maybe that's the Holy Spirit leading you to do something about it. All right? Leading you to do something about it. All right, and just the last thing that I want to say about service at SVCC is we say that at SVCC, mission isn't something we add to our schedule. It is our schedule. Mission isn't something we add to our schedule. It is our schedule. What, what do we mean by that? We, we mean it's not like we have our normal lives over here, and then we go and do our mission project, and okay, check, serve, did my mission thing. Okay, now back to my schedule over here, right? It's, it's not something we add to our schedule. It, it is our schedule. Wherever you are throughout the week, you are on mission, right? Bearing witness in word and deed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Well, I want to say the same thing about serving. Serving isn't something you add to your schedule. It's not just a program that you check off, um, Serving, it, it's, it's a constant posture towards one another. It's a continual openness to use our abilities to build up the body of Christ. It's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and his leading. And this just doesn't happen at official church events or on Sunday morning. It's always happening. It's always happening. We live in a culture that's craving authentic community, but that type of community will only come from a people whose daily posture is one of commitment and service to one another. It's only in committing ourselves to a body and giving ourselves to a body that we will find true joy. So Shades, may we not daydream about the ideal dream community but may we see SVCC, may we see one another as we look at one another for what we are, for who we are, the body of Christ, of which we are members. Amen. Amen.